On behalf of Avpoint and Kerasoft, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast, focused around meeting federal zero trust standards with Microsoft sensitivity labels. Where Antoine Snow, Public Sector Solutions Engineering Manager at Avpoint, will outline the role of sensitivity labels in complying with White House Memo M2209, moving the U.S. government towards zero trust principles. All right, so let's dig into this. Um, zero trust. Zero trust is an uh, interesting conversation, right? Everyone has been hearing about it ever since the um, the mandate, the M2209 mandate, <clears throat> and as such, there's a lot of questions about, you know, the principles, about the architecture, and and so forth. So, just to give a, a quick high level, in case uh, there's anyone there who's unaware, right? Uh, zero trust is effectively an evolving set of requirements that is meant to boost cybersecurity and cyber defense, right? Threat mitigation. So there are a couple of key core principles uh, to go over there, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. So there is assuming breach, which is trying to minimize the damage of a potential breach itself. There is explicit verification, which is verification and validation, um, authentication, authorization, right? A lot of the identity pieces um, on different data points, right? And then there's going to be the principle of least privilege, right? So this is trying to minimize access, right? By giving just enough permissions or just enough credentials to be able to do what it is that is necessary. Um, so that's that's kind of the general gist of it from a principle perspective. Now, as far as the pillars of zero trust and, and how that fits in, the pillars themselves are going to extend across multiple different um, areas, right? When you start talking about information technology and cybersecurity, so you have your endpoint management, uh, which is ever so much more important these days as more and more um, organizations are allowing, you know, bring your own device or are providing devices themselves, but need to make sure that there's proper inventory um, and authentication and just security that's applied to those endpoints themselves. You have the network, which has always been a focal point of security conversations just in general, right? Um, you know, government or not. The application workloads themselves, right? What's actually happening um, with the work, with the applications, how they're being developed, how they're being delivered. Um, and then of course, trickling down into the data and the user aspects. Now, this conversation uh, today around uh, sensitivity labels and in even some of the app point components you'll see is going to stay uh, in a good bit around the data and the user. Right, so it's going to be, uh, if I can get my handy dandy laser pointer here, right, we'll be focused a lot in this area. And that's just going to be based off of the nature of how the technology works, right, just in general. Now, when we're talking about the data and the user, there's going to be quite a few different components there, right? So you have your DLP, you have your classification, being able to leverage managed metadata for the purposes of reporting, right? Or however that can help you with reporting. Encryption, you know, there's a big charge towards AI and machine learning. So we'll be talking about a lot of these different components today and how those are applicable uh, within the sensitivity label, um, you know, ecosystem or of purview, right, within Microsoft. Now, this is going to lend me to a question. And this is a 
this is going to be a question that, uh, you know, I want you all to kind of think about as it pertains to your specific environments, right? So how do you incorporate the zero trust principles, right? The ones that we went over in the beginning, the ones that are, are fairly well known in a free and open sharing system. Okay, so I say free and open, not that you can't create permissions, right? Not that you can't lock things down, but for the most part, there's a lot of freedom of collaboration that is available to you in M365 on purpose, right? And this is not, you know, uh, uh, you know, to to disrupt zero trust or, or what it's built for, but it's more so because of the nature of collaboration today. Okay, so when you when you talk about the current constructs, and we'll also dive into some of this as well as we go along the presentation, but you can think about from an ownership perspective, right? When you think about the nature of like a team, right? Microsoft Teams and the, the, the power that a team's owner has, right? The power that a site collection administrator might have, right? There's a lot of privilege here. That doesn't necessarily, you know, mesh with that principle of least privilege. So how do we how do we get around that, right? How do we how do we shore that up, right? This concept of of anyone can be an owner, but even sharing content share, data sharing, right, is able to be had um, at just the click of a button, extremely easy, right? So what we're going to be talking about today is how you can right size some of that control based on risk that you can identify or risk that's being determined um, potentially as content is being created or workspaces are being provisioned, okay? So this is, this is really where we're going. So we're gonna be focusing on two key areas, right? This is gonna be the data component, the actual content itself. Um, this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about and discussing sensitivity labels, discussing how this can help uh, you know, not just from a classification perspective, but even from a uh, policy enforcement perspective, right? Uh, trying to control some of that risk for the most sensitive of contents. The other half of this, or the other side of this, when we're talking about right-sizing this control is gonna be um, an approach that we speak about very often here at Avpoint, especially around the zero trust architecture. And this is about how you can right-size based off of the workspaces themselves as well. Okay, so just want to make sure that we kind of set the stage for where we're going for the rest of this webinar. And I implore you, if you have any questions, go ahead and put them in the chat. I will uh, do my best to respond there, all right? So let's move forward and let's talk about how to secure some content with uh, MIP and, and you know, purview, right? As it's called now, sensitivity labels. So just a little bit of a, a walkthrough, right? Just, just a little bit of a history. So the concept behind the sensitivity labels or how it came about, you know, kind of all started from those of you who, you know, have, have managed content on-premise or are very familiar with the Active Directory RMS, right? The rights management services. And so, that then evolved itself into what you have as the Azure Rights Management Service. So it's just a natural evolution um, as things started moving from you know, on-premise Active Directory and, and so forth into the cloud. 
Now, with the acquisition of Secure Islands, what this did was provide Microsoft with a lot of powerful data classification protection and, and DLP technologies that was then able to be iterated on and effectively start becoming more around the AIP, the Azure Information Protection Suite, okay? Azure Information Protection also allows and still does, if you're leveraging the scanning engine, the labeling and classification of even unstructured content within file shares. All right, so it does still extend even with the change uh, to MIP and purview, okay? And then from there, you also have your unified labeling, right? So this is where we previously saw the MIP uh, moniker, right? Microsoft Information Protection, uh, also uh, alongside MIG, which is gonna be Microsoft Information Governance, right? A lot of the retention label uh, pieces. We're not gonna get into that today, but just a little bit of a, of a background. So talking about this a little bit more, sensitivity labels, right? What are they? What is it, <laughs> right? So sensitivity labels is effectively metadata that's written into the document files. But these, this metadata is actually going to um, have an attachment in such that it's able to do things like encrypt the files. It can control things using, of course, rights management services as well. You know, can you copy, can you print? Um, it also is gonna persist the file across other ecosystems, right? So because it's an office file, even if it's sent an email, even if it's, you know, used in, 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 in something like a Dropbox or something of that nature, it's persisting with that content, with that document, with those office files across its, its collaboration cycle. And that's what makes uh, sensitivity labels so powerful, right? So it really does help prevent, you know, oversharing or at least securing your content if you have to share it um, by ensuring that the right policies are going to live with that content as it goes along, right? Now, do note that some of the labels are able to be applied through a web browser, but some are applied through the desktop client, right? And remember, I also mentioned this unified scanner. So there's, there's a little bit of nuance when it comes to how you're interacting with it. But ultimately, the idea is that whether you're creating a document through M3, you know, M365, SharePoint Online, Teams, right? Or whether you are creating it through the office client on-prem, you know, on your endpoint, you're still going to be able to interact and leverage the labeling functionality, right? So let's talk about creating the sensitivity labels in purview, all right? So for those of you who are not familiar, who have not, you know, been able to uh, have the, the pleasure of exploring the former Security and Compliance Center, now the Purview Center, you are able to um, get into the information protection and actually create the labels from here, all right? Now, you can create a label for uh, internal information. You can do one for ITAR export control content. Um, depending on what you create as your label, or what the purpose of the label is for, you can create a set of um, actions or, or restrictions or even permissions that are going to be applied to this label. So walking through this, what does this look like? So number one, you're creating a name and a display name for your users, as well as a description for the label itself, right? 
from there, you're going to define a scope for this label. So we'll actually talk about some of the scope on another uh, slide as well. But right, this label can be applied to files and emails, which, as you can see there, can apply configure. Uh, excuse me, encryption. Right, so you can do some content markings. You can do watermarking. Right, you can set auto labeling conditions as well. It's a lot of power when you start talking about that, but you can also apply the labels to groups and sites. All right, now the actions are gonna be a little bit different, okay, but it is possible. Um, and then of course, you can also apply it to Azure Purview Assets. Actually more recently, you can apply it to Power BI content as well. So I'm not sure if any of you all have been within the Purview Center lately, but Power BI content has actually been added um, as another, uh, location that you can uh, apply labels to. So when you are choosing the protection for the files, as you're applying this to your files and your emails, you have the ability to encrypt them, right? And control who has actually access to it based off of it. So that encryption is actually still going to follow. Once again, this label is following and persistent. You can also mark the content. So if you needed to create a custom header or footer, right, given it's let's say sensitivity, right? The nature of its sensitivity, that's a, a very common use case for that. Um, or if you want to watermark it for the same purposes, right? You can actually do that with the labels themselves. Now, as we go further into this encryption, take a look here. Now, what you can do, and this is actually really interesting, is that you can assign the permissions uh, in two different ways. All right, now the first way is what you see here on the screen, which is assigning the permissions now. What this does is allows the administrators, right, the people who are managing this from the uh, compliance center to be able to uh, dictate who can access that type of content. So if we think about some of the more highly restrictive content, right, um, the things that are going to be need to know, you know, going back to your, your ITAR, your export control uh, scenario, you could apply permissions such that there is a group, and this group of users are going to be um, U.S. persons only. And what you then do is say, based off of this, this label, all right, I'm going to assign the permissions and make sure that only members that are fall in this AD group or in this group are going to be able to access this content as it's marked. That is an example of how you could leverage this. Internal uh, can also make sure that you know no external entities are going to be able to access this content. There's public labels that you can do. So that's that's one way of handling it, and that's a very common uh, scenario. But again, it's going to be around specific uh, kind of content areas. The second way to assign these permissions, and you might notice it says, or let users decide. Okay, so there is a user, uh, a user driven process to this as well, or it can be. What this allows you to do is say, I'm going to publish this label to these users. Maybe they're going to be leveraging it, you know, through desktop. Once again, I said you can create content through Office um, on your endpoint, and then you can associate a label with it at that point in time. And that's going to be kind of the other option there, right? So really interesting how this can go. It's it's you know, on one hand you're leveraging your users and depending on your users to be able to you know classify content appropriately, um, but at some point in time, they are also going to know best the type of content they're working on, right? So the, the administrator 
method works for those, those scenarios that I provided. We talk about content marking. This is your ability, once again, to add a watermark, make, you know, and as you can see in this example, restricted is going to be the watermark that's provided. You also have a footer, right? That says highly confidential. These are just some examples of how this could be leveraged. Right, so let's get into auto labeling a little bit. So part of the zero trust architecture, or should I say that uh, part of the zero trust uh, pillars is machine learning and AI, right? So there's a couple of different ways we can do this. Um, so you have auto labeling based off of sensitive information types you see here, and this is the example, and we'll talk about this. And the other option is by trainable classifiers. And I actually have a slide on that uh, specifically. So sensitive information types. Sensitive information types are going to be the kind of baseline uh, idea of, all right, well, what can classify or what does classify sensitive information? So let's talk about driver's licenses. We see this example here um, as we put up the different uh, sensitive information types. So bank account numbers, driver's license. So what this is doing is it's following a particular pattern, right? Social security number, for instance. Social security numbers, three hyphen or slash two hyphen slash four, right? Um, a driver's license number, depending on the state, can actually also be identified, you know, pretty easily. So, you know, if I think about the state of Virginia, you have, you know, a letter, two numbers, hyphen, two numbers, hyphen, four numbers, right? These are, pa this is pattern matching, right? And you can do this kind of more baseline. And that's the idea behind the system of information type. So it's able to identify these, these patterns, these things and say, all right, I'm going to attribute it. And based off of the sensitive information type I find, I'm now going to apply a sensitivity label, okay? And that's kind of the idea there. Trainable classifiers we'll talk about in a minute. This is actually going to be more along the uh, machine learning aspect of things. Uh, as we start talking about how this fits in with the zero trust architecture, um, as well as how it fits into even what your strategy might be within your organization itself. All right, so once you're done here, you're able to uh, create the label. And from there, you can also publish the label afterwards. All right, so you review the settings, make your changes and, and finish. Now, uh, trainable classifiers. So this is a um, just a an image uh, from the, the link that you see down below. And it goes into a sample timeline of going through trainable classifiers. So what is this? So what this is doing is saying that if your organization has, let's say employee ID numbers, then it's unique. Case file numbers, that's unique. Or other types of um, patterns that might occur multiple times and if let's say three different things. I think one of the examples is uh, for, for Coca-Cola or something of that nature. And it's, you know, you have, if you have, um, what is it? Brown, you know, number, whatever the case is, plus water, plus, you know, another ingredient uh, found within the same document, that's gonna be the secret recipe, right? And we're going to train the system in order to find these things. And, and if it matches, then we'll go ahead and, and leverage that. So the idea is that you're going to upload <clears throat> seed content. So what it's called, it's called seeded content. And the idea is that 
it is then going to crawl and index that and understand what is common across that. This is supposed to be all content that actually matches your criteria, whatever that might be, right? So I don't want to make it so simple as just a string. It could actually be more complex than that. <clears throat> From there, once it goes through and it processes the seeded content, you then have to sample it, right? You have to test it. So the idea is that you create 200 test samples. Some of them are going to be positive and some of them are going to be negative. And the idea is that you go through and you review that. You upload that, you have it go through, it tells you what's positive, what's negative. You mark it as a, as a, um, a false positive, you mark, you know, you're training, it, right? That's the whole idea behind these trainable classifiers. You go through and you train it. And these trainable classifiers can be used for both sensitivity labels and retention labels, right? Uh, how you apply it. Now, these are just sample examples. And in truth, there's it's very likely that you need more test samples um, in order to ensure that you are going to be more accurate with how content is going to be assigned, just to be very transparent here, right? But this is machine learning, right? It, it has to learn. And that's the whole idea behind this. And, and so <clears throat> when you're going into this and you're thinking about how to incorporate uh you know machine learning and ai into your your zero trust mechanism or even just your your general information governance strategy keep in mind the work that goes into this when you're going through and you're training uh you know the system right in order to to match the patterns that you need for it so uh we'll talk about that now luckily with the zero trust architecture, you can build up. The idea behind the pillars is that you build yourself up um, through them. You don't have to necessarily meet everything at one time, but it is a framework. Um, and we'll talk more about that. <clears throat> so sensitivity labels for groups, or excuse me, for teams, groups, and sites. So I did mention before that this is going to be different, right? Sensitivity labels for groups, teams, and sites are going to be different in the sense that, number one, when you apply a sensitivity label to a team group or site, it does not automatically trickle down to the sub-entities, right? So if you apply it to a site collection, it's not necessarily applying to the sub-sites. Uh, if you have a nested architecture, don't have a nested architecture, that's against best practices. But uh, I digress, it's also not going to trickle down to the files, right? So as mentioned, sensitivity labels applied to content has different parameters, has different actions than sensitivity labels applied to an object. So an example is that if you were to create a, um, a sensitivity label on a team, right? You can determine, right? And this actually used to be a very common question that our clients just asked. I want to make all of my teams private. Well, this is per this is the perfect way, right? Because there's a lot of um, security concerns around public teams, right? It has that everyone except external users folder. So as content's uploaded into there, they're, they're available across everyone, right? It's a lot of risk. <clears throat> so you can use sensitivity labels in this way right, to ensure and enforce the privacy of the workspace itself. So that's, that's an example of how this can be used. So um, what I don't want you to confuse this with, though, specifically is the Teams classification, right? So Teams classification used to be a thing that 
it was around, right? And the idea is that the team's classification was a, a text string to help you identify uh, the nature of a team, but there was no policy associated with it, right? So you could have an internal uh, classifier for a team, but it really, there, were, there was no bearing on it. Um, so that's how sensitivity labels kind of moves that needle forward uh, because it actually gives you a policy that needs to be adhered to based off of that. Let's talk about sensitivity labels in practice. All right, so where sensitivity labels thrive? All right, so protection is going to be applied to the content regardless of how it traverses across the environment. All right, so different platforms. And like I mentioned before, including Power BI, that's fantastic, all right? Teams, groups, and sites can have policy enforcement based off of a sensitivity label as well. That is also phenomenal. Once again, very common use case across multiple industries and multiple government entities is private teams. You catch that, you nip that in the butt right there. Sensitivity labels are also the best option in my opinion, right, for securing highly regulated content. So let's go back to, you know, let's think about different types of CUI data. Let's think about, you know, again, the export control scenario that I mentioned before. Let's think about any of, you know, let's think about FTI data. Let's think about any of those, um, you know, things that are, are going to be regulated. It is fantastic for that because you can apply it based off of the sensitive information type. Or as the next bullet states, you can leverage trainable classifiers for additional um, automation, right? For the application of the, the labels themselves. So this is really where uh, sensitivity labels truly thrive. Now, a little bit about why there's another route that we're gonna go down and we're gonna talk through in the next part of this presentation, all right? So, Collaboration as it stands today doesn't necessarily fit the nature of, of the auto labeling or the labeling uh, that is done natively. So let's talk about what that means. So to apply sensitivity label across multiple workspaces, a workspace being defined as a team, a group, or a site, or or you know, something like that, a Yammer community, if you guys are using that, things like that, right? Is the fact that if you want to do it in bulk, you really have to do the auto the auto labeling. But the auto labeling doesn't have that type of 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 capability, right? You have to actually add multiple site collection URLs or multiple OneDrive URLs, right? Um, a, you know, deploying a label to a group of users is fine, but a user, right? Let's talk again about the nature of collaboration. A user could be working on a project that doesn't necessarily fit, you know, the mold of what is, is sent to him or her, right? That individual could be doing cross-departmental, cross-component work. And as such, another sensitivity label that might not be deployed to them may be better, right? So that's just an example. Um, or if you just want to do a bulk label application to all uh, finance and all, you know, personnel management and all, you know, um, you know, OIG or something of that nature. That's also not exactly easy, right? So it doesn't fit <clears throat> the adjunct nature of collaboration itself.
Um, labels applied to the workspace, once again, does not apply to the content automatically. So that means you have to have the labels that are deployed to the workspaces and you have to have labels that are gonna be deployed to the content, right? Because they serve two different purposes in the overarching information governance um, process, right? So let's kind of keep that in mind as well. User-based decisions. So this is what trips up, uh, I think, a, a quite a few of my clients if I have to think about that, right? So I mentioned earlier on, when you deploy a sensitivity label and you're setting permissions around it, it's either done by the admin, if you guys can actually see this finger here, <laughs> or it's done by the user themselves. Doing it by the admin has its uses, but it's not going to fit the bill for a large tenant or even a small tenant, right? Given the nature of collaborate, it's, it's just not going to fit, right? The, the admin cannot, and when I say the admin, I'm talking about the people who have access to purview, who have those, those rights, you know, who are sensitivity, you know, um, information protection admins and so forth. They cannot necessarily define and decide who's going to have access to all that content other than, again, U.S. persons only, maybe. Um, capstone users are executives, right? So they can determine that. Uh, but when we get more granular, there's a divide. Okay. Um, let's talk about trainable classifiers. So trainable classifiers being the machine learning and being the AI approach is still a tedious process. Right. And again, that is why it's fantastic for the most highly regulated content or for the most unique content in and of itself. But I have clients that believe that this is kind of the way forward. And, and I'd have to say that trainable classifiers for all of your content, for everything that you do, is, is, is probably not going to be the feasible approach. Okay. Um, on top of that, there is the need for the AIP Unified Labeling Scanner to assist with some of that, uh, especially for non-office files. But then that sensitivity label doesn't necessarily traverse for non-office files into M365 as well, right? Because they don't really uh, showcase well within SharePoint Online. So kind of keep that in mind as well. So we're talking about office files, we're talking about PDFs, even images for a lot of cases aren't going to be subject to this. And we know that images can also in themselves be sensitive. So I think I beat the slide over the head. Let's, let's kind of move on and talk a little bit about that teamwork approach, right? So we talk about teamwork, but ultimately the team you work with aren't necessarily always gonna be within your department. Now, these are kind of basic, you know, kind of Microsoft figureheads, but you know, you can imagine the various different components or departments uh, within your organization. And you know that there's a lot of cross communication and it's not always through email, right? They can be in a number of different ways. They could be file sharing, right, directly through OneDrive. They could be emails, right, which is, which is as we know, uh, <laughs> a very long-standing approach. Uh, but then there's meetings and events. There's tasks, right? We talk about the advent of Teams and Planner, um, chats and conversations. So ultimately, the team you work with is not necessarily always your team, and that is why labels that are only applied to specific users based off of their department or, or another attribute doesn't necessarily always work. 
But then there's also these things such as chats, conversations, and tasks and meetings that also kind of fall outside of what sensitivity labels are, are really kind of doing for you, right? Because this is beyond files. So let's just kind of keep that in mind as we're, as we're going here, right? So let's take a look again at this zero trust, at the zero trust pillars, but let's actually take another look here and look at this additional pillar of workspace control, okay? Workspace control, and, and this is all a maturity model, by the way, so it's all about kind of working your way up, but the workspace element is going to traverse some of the data elements as well as the user elements, right? Because if we think about it, the workspace itself, right, that team, team may be an Azure Active Directory object, but it's also, it also comprises so many different systems and services. Planners here, SharePoints there, right? There's a little bit of exchange components, some legacy Skype because we have our chats, right? We have, you know, maybe workspaces and, and all these other different hodgepodge of elements, right? Let's not even talk about anything that you might, um, you know, any tabs and whatever the case is, right? Uh, going on a tangent here, but there, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. So when we look at the workspace element, we start looking at things like, all right, well, how do we talk about permissions at the workspace level? And how does that then, you know, integrate with this data, right? And data access, as well as, you know, some of the user elements. So this is why it kind of traverses these two here. All right. How do we talk about the delegation, right? Of administrative capabilities to workspace admins, right? We talk about the principle of least privilege. Well, how can we get some of these responsibilities out of the hands of those with the most privilege and into the people who actually need to do it day to day, right? There's a lot of different elements here. Now, this webinar is not about every component of this sixth pillar of workspace. Uh, we are gonna still be focusing on how we can you know, incorporate uh, sensitivity labels and, and better uh, the sensitivity label uh, deployment within the environment, but keep these things in mind when you're thinking about your approach uh, to the architecture in a modern collaboration environment, right? So moving forward a little bit, we have the, you know, AppPoint Confidence Platform. So the Confidence Platform, uh, powered by AOS, AppPoint Online Services, is going to provide uh, different platform features to help enable and enhance the concept of information governance within M365 by incorporating things like the, uh, the container approach or logical segmentation approach and so forth. So when we talk about this, if you think about your tenant, and in most government organizations, you're in a consolidated tenant. So that's first and foremost. Um, there's only, you know, I don't wanna say far and few, but in, in the majority of cases, you're in a consolidated tenant. There's gonna be multiple components that exist within one. As such, there's a need to have a segmentation of those sites, of those teams, of those groups, right? Users is done pretty easily. Azure AD takes care of that. And as such, it's able to take care of the mailboxes and even to some extent, the groups and distro lists as well. OneDrive is not as easily taken care of because it still maintains that URL concept within M365 natively, 
right? And as such sites and teams. So how can we have a logical segmentation within a tenant? How can we use this logical segmentation to better assign things like sensitivity labels across the environment? And how can we provide people with uh, people the need to know individuals, the admins um, who are respective to those business units? How can we provide them with the insight that they need in order to make reasonable decisions? And as do, by doing so, we're providing the people who need the visibility with that and further offloading the, more of the responsibility from the individuals who have the most permissions, right? Because again, just because you're a global admin doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, should be in everyone's team or, or OneDrive, right? That's just how it should be. <laughs> so what are some of the benefits here of a workspace approach, right? Establishing data ownership, that's, that's one here, right? Being able to say that as, a, as an admin of a particular workspace, Bear with me there. Laser pointer went haywire. Uh, establishing data ownership by saying, as you know, the the person's responsible for this component for this division. Um, you know, you can be you know data owner or the specific data owners themselves who are owning the, uh, that content, right? So teams owner or something of that nature, right? But further defining that across the workloads, uh, classification, being able to do that at the workspace level and doing it in a way that still leverage the sensitivity labels, um, but do so in a bit more of a uh, business-focused process, okay, business-centric process. And we'll talk about how to do that. Collaboration asset inventory. So this is actually a big one. So part of the zero trust architecture, right, when we talk about those pillars, a lot of that is about discover discoverability of the content as well. So let's not overlook the, the power that lies in, you know, inventory reporting right across there and understanding purposes behind why things might have been created or what things are being used for right attestation processes so being able to say on a workspace level or by a department level um, you know are you still using this is this you know is the content in here still relevant are the persons who are a part of this workspace still relevant, right? Going through that kind of permission cleanup. So, I mean, and I want you guys to ask yourself seriously, how often do you go through permission cleanup? I was a SharePoint admin in the past. I can tell you that that was not a regular occurrence. I can almost assure you that in Teams, it's only gotten worse, okay? <clears throat> so being able to go through that process. Um, automating some self-service requests and then handling the end-to-end -end lifecycle management. So when we talk about zero trust, right, when Avpoint is talking about zero trust within collaboration systems, we are hitting on some of these key pieces, the classification and lifecycle management of these workspaces. Being able to use the same attribute-based approach that Microsoft takes with its users and being able to apply that down to the workspaces and do attribute-based policies and controls for those workspaces, right? Not just the users. Authorization. So when we, again, going back to those pillars, the zero trust uh, method there is going to be about authorization of the users. Well, they can get into M365, right? Let's assume that that's all well and good. And to some degree, right, when we're talking about sensitivity labels, 
that can control a user's access into the content or their authorization for the content. But again, that's not necessarily the, the best approach for broad scope. What we can do is control where that content lives and the authorization there. And that's the idea behind the workspace authorization. And then lastly, of course, risk discovery and reporting. Again, nothing, nothing um, makes the job easier than being able to highlight uh, some of that risk and then be able to also delegate that visibility down to the persons who can actually take action. All right, so let's talk about a few things. I will go through a quick um, demonstration and then we will uh, wrap up. So let's talk a little bit about the workspace cataloging. So once again, being able to have great inventory management is going to be um, really critical, right? So we're talking about the inventory of collaborative workspaces. So are they a site? Are they a team? Are they a group? What are they, right? Map those workspaces back to a business unit, a business purpose, and a sensitivity, okay? So pulling that sensitivity label application and being able to provide you with, with with a map of understanding exactly what everything is for, all right? Including any additional metadata that you might want to allocate to it. So this can tell you not just the sensitivity, but maybe even the criticality, right, of a particular workspace, right? So this can help with really understanding what is happening within the environment itself. It can help you maintain compliance across the organization. And by being able to see this, you can also sunset you know, based off of your records retention rules, you can sunset the necessary components to be able to reduce risk and sprawl, right, for end user purposes as well as for administrative purposes, okay? Tying this back into a sustainable self-service approach, automation doesn't necessarily always have to be machine learning, okay? So if you take a look at the, at, at you know, the imagery here, through a dynamic request process, right? What you are able to do um, leveraging the system is based off of who the user is, where they belong, right? From a department or organizational structure or even what role they are. Like, are they a capstone user? Are they an executive or otherwise high ranking official? What are they trying to do, right? So what is their business purpose? You are able to do things like determine a naming convention for the workspace. You're able to determine who can have access or who can be invited, right? So actually doing like a narrowed down people picker field when you're actually inviting or incorporating members into this team or, or workspace. You can leverage these different metadata or, or these answers in order to drive reporting. And then of course, you can also automatically configure a sensitivity label based off of how they respond to the questions, all right? This is big, right? Because like I mentioned, you can't do this well natively. There's not a really a good way to bulk apply the sensitivity labels across the environment. So this provides you a way to be able to do so, right? And then lastly here, so proactive policy. So policy enforcement is gonna be big when you start talking about something like a zero trust uh, methodology, right? You have to ensure that policies are being enforced and things are being done. You can implement governance all you want, but unless you have a way to enforce that governance, you'll always be 
you know, playing cleanup, right? Or playing catch up and, and trying to, to come from behind, right? So being able to do proactive policies in order to maintain compliance within the environment is, always, is going to be uh, very crucial. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information on how Kerasoft and Avpoint can help secure your organization's collaboration spaces, please visit www.kerasoft.com slash Avpoint Public Sector.